Well, I'm, I'm just glad to see everybody's moving <laughs> after the slip and slide, yeah. adults and kids. So it was a great time yesterday. Uh, we all enjoyed it. Today we're looking at the book of Jonah, and it is a very unique book. Uh, I entitled my message, Running Against the Wind. You know, there was a song years ago, Running Against the Wind, whenever I was uh, having breakfast this morning at... Perkins, the, I was studying this, and in the background I'm hearing this running against the wind, you know, and I'm going on, I'm reading, and I'm reading, and talking, uh, you know, going over my sermon, running against the wind, I think, oh yeah, Jonah, running against the wind, that's Jonah. So we have this guy in the book of, in, in the Bible named Jonah, and it's a very unique book, okay? Jonah is a very unique book, and it's different from other, the other prophetic books, because the book tells about Jonah, the story of the prophet, and not centered on the message of the prophet. It's the only book in the Bible that has this distinction. It's focused on the man and not the message. Usually it's the other way around. We have the message and then we have the life of the individual. But in this case, Jonah is the main character, and there's only one verse in the entire book that speaks about his message, and that's whenever he's in uh, chapter 3, verse 4, and, jo and Jonah is starting into the city of Nineveh, and he tells him, you've got 40 days until destruction comes. And basically, that's the message of the book of Jonah, but then we go back to the man and all the, all the situations that happen with him. So the book of Jonah, then, is an historical narrative, and... We know that it's not just a fish tale because Jesus alludes to the book whenever he speaks about his death and his resurrection. So Jonah is not a um, fish tale story that was created around the campfires. It was a literal, real story about a prophet named Jonah and that Jesus verified it by referring to as Jonah was in the belly of the well, or the great fish, so will the Son of Man be in the grave. So Jonah was a prophet, and Jonah was sent to the city of Nineveh. Does is anyone ever, do you know anybody that's stubborn? <laughs> do you know anyone that likes to have their own way? <laughs> you know, that... Everybody's looking, it must be you he's talking about, because not me, I'm not stubborn. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not strong-willed or anything like that. Uh, but Jonah has this message delivered to him by God and says, you're going to go to Nineveh. Jonah says, nope, I'm going the other direction. I am not going to go to Nineveh because Jonah hates the Assyrians. He literally despises this country, this nation, and especially this capital city of Nineveh. And rightfully so. The Ninevites, the Assyrians, were, they were, pretty, they were a pretty nasty bunch. And they were always in war. They were the, you know, the primary enemy of Israel. And they were ruthless. They were heartless. They were vicious in the way that they they took their captives and killed them, the Israelites. And so Jonah has a right 
to say, I'm not going. I don't like those people. Those people have been nasty. They have, and Jonah probably has relatives, friends, history, you know, of, of this conflict between uh, Assyria and Israel. <clears throat> He's got family members or relatives that have been killed in these battles. And when he hears this message about going to Nineveh, he doesn't want Nineveh to repent. He doesn't want Nineveh to get off of the hook. He wants them punished for what they've done. And he knows that if he goes there, God might, will forgive them. Jonah doesn't want them to be forgiven. He wants them to pay for their, for their, <laughs> for their crimes against Israel. Now, I know that none of us have people that we really despise or hate because <laughs> we're supposed to be forgiving people, and we are to be forgiving people. But can you imagine if there were someone on your list of people you dislike the most, and, you know, hopefully we don't have that list, and, you know, but we do, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sure we have those individuals. And God would say to us, you know what? David, I want you to go to them, and I want you to talk to them, and I want you to forgive them, and I want to forgive them for all the bad things to you and to everyone else. And they've just been nasty people. What are you going to say? <laughs> I ain't going. They deserve what they get. Anybody ever, you know, sometimes we, we do that kind of thing that, you know, those people, they finally got what they deserved. All right, so I don't, that, you know, there were people, they finally got what they deserved. <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and, and again, it's, it's human nature. We know and we've been, we've experienced things like that. But in Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1, and we're going to just kind of skip through the book of Jonah here. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So we know that the city of Nineveh and the Assyrians are a very wicked bunch. They have, uh, their wickedness has come up to God and what is God going to do about it? God's going to save them. God wants to change them. You see, God is not in the same uh, framework of, of looking at life as we are. If people are bad, let's punish them. God says if people are bad, let's try and forgive them. Let's try to separate them from their sins. Let's try and separate them from the things that are wrong in their life and present the good things in their life that they can change. That's what God does with us. And so Jonah then, as we find in verse 2, or verse 3, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. So, God says, Steve, go to Bedford. And Steve says, okay, I'm going to Johnstown. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm going in the opposite direction. That's what happened with, with uh, Jonah. You know, Nineveh was east, he goes, I'm going west. Nineveh was across the land. You know, it was about 250 miles from Jerusalem to Nineveh. And what is, what is uh, Jonah? He goes down to the, 
the port and gets on a boat and heads out to sea. <laughs> he's, you know, that's just, you know, he's getting out of town and he's leaving because he doesn't want to go. He is, he's off and running. So Jonah runs from the message. He runs from God. He runs to a ship and he gets out to sea. Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind and such a violent storm across that that the ship threatened to break up, running against the wind. <laughs> so God sent a great wind. In our lives, God has a way of <laughs> showing up and presenting to us that we just can't make any headway in this. And, and again, every time we run into difficulties doesn't mean we're running against the wind. That it means that there's difficulties and we need to seek God's direction in this, in this whole matter. But for Jonah, he is going and he's running against the wind. He's running uh, and he's finding himself alone. <clears throat> he's surrounded by strangers. He's on his boat. And what is he doing? He's in, the bay, he's in the bottom of the ship sleeping. Most of the time whenever we're running, we can't sleep. You know, we, ha we, we have this, uh, well, perhaps, I, you know, again, it's just conjecture, but perhaps Jonah had been running and so upset about this whole thing of going to Nineveh that he hasn't been sleeping since God gave him the message and so he got on his boat and he finally thinks he's at rest and he's out on this boat and a great great storm comes up in verse 5 and uh, it says but Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep the captain went to him and said how can you sleep get up and call on your God Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. The last person God that Jonah wanted to take notice of or for God to take notice of him was God. The sailors were afraid that they were all going to die and they were all praying to their gods and they went to Jonah and said, you get in touch with your God. And Jonah said, I'm not talking to him. He already told me where I was supposed to go, and I'm going in a different direction. Maybe he doesn't know where I'm at. <laughs> Verse 8. So they ask him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? <laughs> what do you do? They want to know what Jonah does. Where did you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Jonah answers, verse 9, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified the sailors. What have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. So they're kind of all upset over this whole matter because, you know, they have all these superstitions and all these gods they pray to that's supposed to make things work and it doesn't work. And they're, they're, this, great, this great storm has come up. They can't seem to navigate the storm. And Jonah tells them, well, I, I serve the God who made all of this and he's in charge of all this. And so they don't know what to do. So it's funny because the sea was getting rougher, verse 11. So they ask him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down? 
Jonah says, verse 12, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Now, I picture this as Jonah's last act of defiance. God, you told me to go that way. I'm going this way. And I am going to die in the sea. And those people are not going to hear your message because they deserve to die. Give me a dunk in the ocean and let me die. Last act of defiance. I am going to die in spite. <laughs> I'm going to, in, in spite of all that you've done and said, in spite of everything that you want, I am not going to do what you want. Be careful <laughs> whenever we say, God, I don't care what you do, I'm not doing that. I remember when I was in Bible school, we went to Maine, southern Maine, and, uh, you know, you've always heard a lot about Maine. I, we always did in New England and uh, in school there. And we went to this, they sent and had teams come from the school to go on ministry teams to these places, okay? Well, there was this note that came to the school and said they wanted people to come and do a ministry team for a weekend and that we would be staying in a, in, in a hotel and to dress appropriately. Okay, so it's the middle of winter, January, and we go to this hotel, so we take suits and, you know, dress shirts and everything, and we go to this hotel, but they neglected to tell us that it was an old hotel and there was no heat in the hotel. There was no running water in the hotel, and there was about five stories in this hotel, and the only heat in the entire place was a fireplace in the lobby. So it was 10 below zero, and there's three guys in one bed, fully clothed, <laughs> and with towels over our head, around us, and at night you would always turn from one ear to the other, so this one was cold, and it would feel like it was frozen, and you would turn over. <laughs> it, was, it was cold, and you know what I said? I will never go to Maine for ministry. So immediately out of college, I got married, and we went to Maine, to Van Buren, Maine, which is much colder, and the place we were at is in southern Maine, and about eight hours north of there is where we went. Eight hours. If you look at the map of Maine, there's a little nooch at the top of Maine, that's where we were. <laughs> and it was six weeks, it never got above zero. <laughs> so... Never say what, to never tell God what you're never going to do. So Jonah is telling God, I am going to die, and they're going to throw me overboard, and what you want me to do just ain't going to happen. So instead, the men, okay, the men have more sense about this, the people on ship have more sense about this than Jonah because the men did their best to row back to land. They weren't, you know, if this guy represents the God who created all of this, and this is what he does to get our attention, we're not going to kill his servant. We're not going to throw him overboard. We're going to row back to land. So Jonah probably just sits around and says, oh, well, maybe I am going to go back to Nineveh. But so these people start trying to row back to land. But they could not, 
for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord. So even Jonah's mistakes, trying to get away from God, caused these people to follow, to pray to the God of Jonah. Because they prayed to the God of Jonah, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. We've decided we're going to listen to him and throw him overboard. I, I wonder, and again, this is, this is conjecture. Jonah doesn't want to go, and he tells them, throw me overboard and everything's going to be okay. Do not hold this account against us for killing this innocent man for you, O Lord. Have done, O Lord, have done, have done as you pleased. We don't, we, you know, we'll take care of this, but... Then they took Jonah, verse 15, and threw him overboard. Now, I just, I just look at this and I think, Jonah's grinning. <laughs> he's he's going to die. And he is, so, he is so mixed up in his life that he would, he would rather die than talk to those people. Do you ever hear anybody ever say that? I'd rather die than apologize to them. <laughs> anybody ever hear? I'd rather die than talk to them. So we know this type of spite and resentment exists. Jonah was saying, I would rather die than go to Nineveh. So he was going to get his wish. You throw him into the sea. Well, sometimes we are allowed to think that our, we are governing our lives. Sometimes we would like to say, God, I don't care what you say, I'm going this way. And sometimes God says, do you think so, David? <laughs> do you think that's really what I want for your life? Who's in charge of this place? And that becomes the challenge that comes to our life. Who's in charge? Is, is it easier for us to say yes to God and do what he wants, or is it easier for us to say, I'm going this way, and God, you know, uh, you're a picking and I'm a grinning and I'm going this way. Well, God is a way of showing us that he is in control. So, Jonah... I wonder if he, you know, started to swim around for a little while or if he just, you know, jumped in and started going down thinking, I'm going to go down as far as I can and I'm going to drown and I am not going back to Nineveh. I don't know what he did. But perhaps Jonah was caught off guard when he looked around. Now, whenever they threw him into the sea, the sea immediately became calm. So the people on, bo on board knew that Jonah was the guy, was the main reason that all of this was going on, and they knew that they did the right thing. They threw Jonah overboard. Now, I don't know if they saw the fish. They saw the, No, it's a great fish. It doesn't say it's a whale. It says it's a prepared fish. So it's a fish large enough to swallow a man and keep him alive. 
Now, some people have tried to say this could never be, but I guess there have been accounts when people were whalers and so on that they found people alive inside of whales whenever after they had caught them. So I don't, you know, I watch National Geographic and, the, and those things, you know. So anyhow, I wonder if Jonah was like, oh, it's a big fish. <laughs> oh my gosh, he's uh, swimming towards me. Oh my goodness, I am inside of a fish. I am not tore apart. I am not eaten. I am not chewed. I am whole inside of a great fish. Hmm. Verse chapter 2. We don't know how Jonah got in there, but from inside the fish. (laughs) You know, did you ever pray inside of a fish? You ever been in a situation where it is really bad and, you know, if everything's, you know, <clears throat> what, would it like to, what would it be like to be inside of a fish? What would it be like to be inside of the digestive system <laughs> of an animal? Uh, you know? So here's Jonah inside the, the, the digestive system of this great fish. And from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the God. Verse 1. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. He's on talking terms with God now. He wasn't, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. No, I ain't going there, Lord. I don't like those people. So he goes the other way. Now, he says, I called unto the Lord. You know, whenever they were on the boat, pray to your God. I ain't praying. He might find me. In this case, God find me. I'm in this boat. I'm in this, I'm in this fish. Now, I, he called and he answered. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. Jonah is being digested alive. <laughs> so from his grave, he is praying. And God heard his cry. Why? For you heard me into, you hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the sea, and the currents swirled around me. You know, they talk about diving suits, and they talk about, you know, in, in submarines and so on, when they have all that pressure, and, you know, you see the movies where the, the, uh, the bolts and things are popping out because of the pressure. Jonah knew from the pressure he was feeling inside of the, of the whale, inside of this great fish, he was at the depths of the sea. He could feel the pressure. He could feel what was going on because he's talking about it. I said, I have been banished from your sight and I will look again toward your holy temple. Total darkness, being digested alive, feeling the pressures of the sea, with seaweed, he talks about here, being around his head, in total darkness, he cries unto God, and he says, you know what? I think I'll go where you want me to go. <laughs> he says here that in this moment, he has an epiphany. He knows he's going to live. Why? I will look again toward your holy temple. From where I am at, I'm in total darkness. 
but I will look again at your holy temple. It's almost like, I, I, I liken this to Job when he says, after the worms have eaten my body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. I will look upon God with mine own eyes and not another. Job believed in the resurrection from the dead long before there was ever anything written about the resurrection. And Jonah is in the depths of the sea, swimming around this, inside of this fish, swimming around in the depths of the sea where the pressures of the sea are upon him. And he is gasping, as it were, for breath. How do you breathe inside of a digestive system? And he says, I am going to look upon the holy temple. You see, that's where the scriptures talk to us about believing and saying and, and, and having this confidence that God is going to take us through the difficulties, through the, the circumstances, through the problems. God is going to be my strength. Very present, he's a very present help in time of trouble that he is my strength and he is my redeemer. He is the one who is going to give me, take me through the place that I am at. Whether I live or whether I die, I belong to God. So no matter where I am, God is there and I'm safe. <sighs> I'm safe here because God is with me and I am remembering his word and I am speaking his word in my life in a way that brings hope and faith to me. Well, to the roots of the mountains I sank down. Verse 7, when my life was ebbing away, <laughs> he's dying. He's dying in the belly of this fish. My life is ebbing away. I remembered you, Lord. <laughs> See? I remembered. I know. Those who cling to the worthless idols, verse 8, forfeit the grace that could be theirs. He begins to understand and have compassion in some way to these people who have forfeited their knowledge of grace by worshiping idols. And he has the developing process of compassion for Nineveh. He understands that there are people who don't know about God's grace. That was the reason he ran from Nineveh. The reason he ran from them, he didn't want them to experience God's grace. He wanted them to be punished for the wrongs that they had done. And now in this place of darkness and the depths of the sea, he begins to understand that they have lost their concept, have no concept of grace. But I will, but I, with a song of thanksgiving, I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you I will give thanks to you. Where is he giving thanks to God at? In the belly of this great fish, at the bottom of the sea, he is offering thanks to God. What I have vowed, I will make good. 
Salvation comes from the Lord. What I have said I would do way back in his calling, I will serve God. Go to Nineveh. I ain't serving you. (laughs) He goes back to his calling and says, I will serve God. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah into dry land. Now, Jonah now takes about a 300-mile journey, 250, 300-mile journey from dry land to Nineveh. Now, when he gets there, Nineveh is a great city. It's about a three-day's journey. It means that it takes three days to get from one suburb to the next. So if you start walking for three days, you you can get through the city of Nineveh. It's a big place. And Jonah begins his three-day journey. I'm at 40 days, God's going to destroy this place. Yes. <laughs> 40 days, and God's going to destroy this place. So here's this guy. Now, if you throw somebody overboard and the sea stops, the, you know, there's no telegraph system, no newspapers, no satellite communication. But there was a way of people getting information They probably heard about this Jonah because these people started talking about it and word and gossip got around because he was supposed to go to Nineveh and anyhow we threw him overboard and we haven't seen him since and now he shows up in town. 40 days and you're all going to die. This half-digested man who's been in the sun for 300 miles, what do you think he looks like? (laughs) You know, I bet he's not too good to look at. (laughs) And suddenly he takes on this whole different appearance and he doesn't want them to repent, but he's going to give it to them anyhow. you got 40 days and you're all dead. What happens? They start repenting. They start recognizing what Jonah is saying. They start feeling guilty. They start recognizing that there is a need for grace in their life, and they all repent. And the whole city goes into this great revival of giving their life to God. And what does Jonah do? He gets out of town and he waits for God to kill him. He doesn't want them to get... And so there's this plant that grows up. Jonah gives them the message. They repent. They put sackcloth and ashes on. They, they are totally recommitted, totally changed. Transformation takes place. And Jonah's like, I knew this was going to happen. The book of Jonah is about the man, not the message. And in our lives... God has two things going on. He has you, and he has a message inside of us. And the message is supposed to change us. And Jonah has a hard time making this transition. Even after his experience in the the fish, he goes outside of town, as you read the rest of the book, he goes outside of town, and while he's sitting there, he's waiting for something to happen, and this plant grows up and offers him shade, overnight and he's very thankful and then the next day the you know night comes the plant dies and 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 he's all mad at the plant and it ends with saying but the lord said you have been concerned about this vine though you did not tend it or make it grow it sprang up overnight and died overnight but nineveh has more than a hundred and twenty thousand people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Jonah was worried about a plant. And God is saying to him, Jonah, I am concerned about all those people. 
there are some things in life we just don't see the value of. And to Jonah, the Assyrians had no value because they were such a terrible group of people. Cruel. Destructive. To Jonah, they deserved to die. But God had a way of taking Jonah and saying, Jonah, you're concerned about this plant, but I want you to be concerned about something else. I want you to be concerned about your life and the message that I'm giving them. There's a story here, and it, and it talks about this guy, this person who owned a company, and he wanted to establish a successor to his company. He didn't want to give it to his children, and he didn't want to give it to appoint somebody. He said, okay, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. Called in all of his young executives. He gave them all seeds. And he said, I want you to go home and plant this, and a year from today, I want you to bring back your plants. So this guy was Mike, I think it was his name, and he was all excited about this, and went home with his seed, talked to his wife, and they planted it. And, you know, two weeks, three weeks, he took care of it, tended it, nothing grew. At work, everybody's talking about their plants and their trees and everything that's growing, and he had nothing. And he continued to plant and nourish it and look over it and water it and everything. Year went by, nothing. He's, and the day came for them to bring in their plants. And everybody brings in their trees and their plants and everything. <laughs> he brought in a pot with nothing in it except the seed that he had been given. And everybody's talking about their plants, and they're all up front. He's sitting in the back with his, his plant, his plantern, you know, pot with nothing in it. And the CEO says, okay, everybody sit down. Mike, come forward. Brings up his, what do you have? He says, I have a planter, what is it called? Pot here, nothing in it. He said, Mike, I want you to know, I gave all of you seeds that had been boiled there were no life in any of the seeds. You're the only one who is truthful with the seed that I gave them. You're the next CEO of this corporation. We have to be truthful with what's in our heart. We don't need to run from it. We don't need to make it something that it's not. We must allow God to nurture the seed that's in our heart. And he will help us become the person he wants us to be. We don't have to run from it. We don't have to make it grow. God will do the work in us. Amen? Shall we stand? Father, we thank you for the seed that you've planted in our lives. God, you've given us something that we can't make happen. Only your presence and your love. Let us not run from it. Let us not embellish it. Let us not try to make it something that it's not. But allow your seed to do its work in us that we might be the people that you want us to be. And God, you will use each situation in life, whether it be a sunset or whether it be a friendship whether it be love, O oh God, that touches our hearts in a very unique way, it's you, O oh God, who is at work in us. Touch our lives, O oh Lord, we pray. Let your spirit anoint us. 
anoint us, Lord, that we might feel your presence, sense your love, know your word, and find peace in our heart no matter where we are at in our life. For you are about growing us and giving us a message. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. God bless you.